The What Would It Take podcast is co-produced by Anabaptist World and me, Ben Tapper. The views expressed here are my own and do not necessarily represent the official positions of Anabaptist World. To learn more, visit anabaptistworld.org. The assault on transgender people is very real and it's here. In fact, it's been here for a while. And what is happening across state legislatures in this nation feels like a solution in search of a problem. And it's just not the right way to govern. But here we are again, another year and another wave of bills aimed at limiting access to education and health care for trans youth and transgender people. Welcome back to the What Would It Take podcast. Today, we're exploring the question, what would it take to keep trans youth safe? Listen in. Okay, let's back up a little and define some of our terms here. I don't want to make any assumptions about folks knowing what transgender means. And and there's even some terminology that was new to me. And so I want to just take a moment and level set and make sure that we're all working with some up-to-date language. The American Psychological Association describes transgender as an umbrella term for persons whose gender identity, gender expression, or behavior does not conform to that typically associated with the sex to which they were assigned at birth. Gender identity refers to a person's internal sense of being male, female, or something else. Gender expression refers to the way a person communicates gender identity to others through behavior, clothing, hairstyles, voice, or body characteristics. So in that paragraph, we have gender identity, gender expression, well, I guess just gender identity and gender expression, which uh, as I was doing research was helpful for me to kind of tease out what those meant. And if I'm understanding them correctly, gender identity is more about one's internal sense of feeling aligned to their sex at birth. You know, if they feel male or if they feel female, gender expression is the way that you express whatever you feel um, internally. It's about how you express whatever your gender identity is through your clothes, through your hair and, and different other characteristics. We should also take a moment and revisit the difference between biological sex and gender. Um, and it, even in that, I'm I'm kind of making a mistake because growing up, I always heard the term biological sex. And so I assumed that's how we talk about this. But in doing the research, I don't see anyone using that phrase. I, I, it's just sex, apparently. And so I've had to correct myself. So when we're talking about the difference between sex and gender, we should note that sex is assigned at birth and associated with physical attributes such as chromosomes, hormone prevalence, and external or internal anatomy. Gender refers to the socially constructed roles, behaviors, attitudes, and attributes that a given society considers appropriate for boys and men or girls and women. Now, these influence the ways that people act, interact, and feel about themselves. And while aspects of biological sex or sex are similar across different cultures, aspects of gender might be different. So, you know, there may be some sort of um, standard understanding of, of the differences between sex across genders, I'm sorry, across cultures rather. But when we talk about gender, how gender is understood, how gender is expressed, that varies widely across cultures. So um, in short, you can be born with a certain set of chromosomes or um, some combination of internal and external genitalia, 
and that would be your sex. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you identify with the roles, the attitudes, and the feelings that are culturally assigned with that sex, right? That's why you can have a gender identity that doesn't align with the sex you were given at birth. And I'll be honest here, as much as I want to say it's easy to understand, it might not feel that way. And that's because most of us haven't been appropriately educated about the differences between sex and gender or between gender identity and gender expression. And we're playing catch up. I'm playing catch up. And in addition, terminology continues to evolve as more and more funding is dedicated to studying and understanding the relationships between sex, gender identity, gender expression, and even sexual orientation. Okay, so we've taken some time. We know that we're on the same page when it comes to our terms. And I think we've got a good enough idea of what it means for someone to be transgender or you know, gender nonconforming. But what is all the fuss about? Well, that depends on who you ask. According to CNN, over 385 bills targeting LGBTQ rights and queer life have been introduced across the country. That's a lot of bills, y'all. That's nearly 80 more bills than last year, and it means that over the last two years, there have been nearly 700 bills targeting LGBTQ rights introduced across the country. And the topics range from bathroom access to sports competition. There's a wide range of things these bills are trying to address, supposedly. However, this year, there seems to be an increased focus on access to medical care for transgender people and transgender youth. States like my beloved state of Indiana, Texas, and Oklahoma want to make it illegal to provide gender transition services to those under the age of 18. In addition, some of those bills also want to make it more difficult to those who are over the age of 18 to receive gender-affirming health care by removing the mandates that would include gender-affirming care and health coverage and restricting the use of public funds for gender-affirming care. In short, If you're under 18, they want to make it so that you can't receive gender-affirming care and that you definitely can't access uh, any sort of transition uh, care. And if you're over 18, they want to make it so that you can't use public funds to fund your gender-affirming care or to fund your gender transition. But what is gender-affirming care? Well, the Department of Health and Human Services defines it as supportive, client-centered care that may include medical, surgical, mental health, and non-medical services, which means that, yes, it can refer to hormonal therapy or even gender reassignment therapy, but it can also mean mental health services and non-medical services. This is important because people who identify as transgender suffer from higher rates of depression, anxiety, eating disorders, self-harm, and suicide than the general public. Youth may feel isolated or become victims of harassment and bullying. Transgender youth may also experience higher rates of homelessness, substance abuse, and physical violence. So this is a vulnerable population, y'all, that we need to be taking care of, not targeting. So why are we doing this? Why are states across the country creating legislation that make it harder for members of a vulnerable population group to get the care they need? Now, I've got to be honest here. Normally, I'd take the time to evaluate the arguments that are being used and to break down the gaps in logic, you know, daily show style. But to be honest, I'm over it. At this point, the why feels much less important because I don't believe motivations are genuine for a lot of folks. This trans healthcare is dangerous narrative is disingenuous at best. 
in my opinion, Republicans and those on the political right are using these arguments to drive up fear and energize their base voters. This is happening at the national level, on the state level, and on the local level. Politicians and political leaders, lobbyists, people with political power and influence, even businesses, are using this fear-mongering to play into their hands and to gain and hold on to more political power. If you take a look at the legislation that's being proposed across the country, it's clear to me that we're prioritizing fear over facts. And that just can't do. We want to protect children from trans care, right? But in 2020, firearms, not transgender health care, not education about gender identity, firearms were the leading cause of death in children and adolescents in the United States. But if you walked through state houses across the country, you would think it was gender education that was killing folks. So this argument is just not authentic to me. I mean, yes, I believe there are people out there, people who don't fully understand uh, the transgender experience, don't fully understand and are still trying to wrestle with and wrap their minds and hearts around uh, gender identity and the diversity of gender expression that can exist. Now, people that maybe just haven't been exposed, haven't known a lot of folks, um, and then are just operating from a, a lack of knowledge. I think those people are out there and they're being preyed upon. They're being preyed upon by political leaders, by those that are seeking clout, by those that have a different agenda. And it is hurting people. It may end up killing people. So I don't want to take the time to justify those arguments. I don't want to justify the fear-mongering that's happening, which is why I'm less concerned with unpacking the why. I just want to know, can we let people live? Can we meet our own fears with curiosity. That's what I really want to ask. What would it take to greet our fears with curiosity? People are afraid. Maybe they're afraid that things are changing in ways they don't understand. Maybe they're afraid that they're losing key parts of their identity and they can't make meaning of that loss. Maybe they're afraid that their children won't grow up to be like them and the way that they've grown accustomed to living will be lost. Maybe it's already lost. Whatever fears they're holding, whatever fears we're all holding, it's time to stop putting them on the shoulders of our transgender and gender diverse family. They've been carrying the brunt of our fear, our guilt, and our shame forever. And it's killing them. What if we took some ownership over what we're feeling instead of looking for a boogeyman that doesn't exist? Or writing legislation to solve problems that aren't real. Meanwhile, there are very real threats to the safety of our children. And if state houses across the country passed that kind of legislation, we'd be having a different conversation. I think this is where I want to leave you today. What would it take for you to have a different relationship with your fear? I mean, don't get me wrong. There are very practical things that we can all do to ensure states, cities, and towns are safer for transgender people. I mean, definitely call your state legislators. Let them know this is ridiculous. They've got to stop. Donate to organizations like the ACLU that are fighting on behalf of trans folks to stop these bills. Find ways that you can use your community relationships to curate spaces that are safe and affirming. Because listen, not all these bills will be stopped. 
the environment that we are living in, the political environment that we're creating constantly is one that is unsaved for marginalized groups. And we won't be able to legislate our way out of that. We can't legislate our way to safety. And so in the meantime, while we're pushing for better laws, we have to curate and create spaces that are safe havens for people because we still have to care about each other. So find ways that you can use your political capital, find ways you can use the spaces that you control and the spaces that you influence to curate and create a sense of safety and affirmation for transgender folks. We can still care for each other even when we're governed by unjust laws. So let your churches, let your homes, your community centers, your schools, and your offices be spaces where everyone is welcome and everyone is treated as sacred. And in the meantime, let's ask ourselves, what would it take to greet our own fears with curiosity and in doing so, keep our transgender family safe? Thank you for listening to this episode of the What Would It Take podcast. I'm so glad you're with me on this journey. And if you have questions, ideas, or suggestions for the show, please reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram as Thoughtful Revolutionary, on Facebook as Benjamin J or Benjamin Joseph Tapper, or you can email me at benjaminjtapper at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to join you for the next episode. Take care, y'all.